You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis. The issues of hidden data are well known, and the BMJ's Open Data Campaign page documents some of the problems which have arisen as a result of clinical trial data remaining undisclosed. At Evidence Live 2013 in Oxford this week, Fiona Godley, BMJ's Editor-in-Chief, convened a group of those fighting the issue to discuss the All Trials campaign and what still needs to be done. With me we've got Peter Gotcha from Denmark, we've got Tracy Brown from Sense About Science, we've got Ben Goldacre, whose recent book Bad Pharma has created a great big stir, we've got Ginny Barber from PLOS and PLOS Medicine, and we've got Tom uh, Jefferson from the Cochrane Collaboration. So we're going to talk a bit about why open data matters and also a bit about the history of what we've been trying to do with um, all trials campaign. It's a short history, but rather a dramatic one. And I thought I might just for a very quick, um, given his skills of summarizing, turn to Ben to give us um, a quick session on why it matters. Why, why do we care about open data? Well, so doctors need all of the evidence from all of the trials that have been conducted on the medicine in order to make an informed decision about which treatment is best. And unfortunately, the best currently available evidence, which is from a 2010 review by HTA, shows that on average, the chances of a trial being published are roughly 50-50, and that trials with positive results are about twice as likely to be published as trials with negative results. Now, this has been very well documented for a very long time. It's been known about in the psychology literature for decades. It was first documented like with numbers uh, in 1986 by Symes in medicine. And since then, people have been fighting for three decades to try and get it fixed. And everything that we've tried so far has failed. We've had um, codes of conduct that have had loopholes or been ignored. We've had uh, regulations from journals where they say we'll only publish registered trials, but those have been ignored. And we've had primary legislation, which was very low in its ambition. It only asked for all trials after October 2008 to be posted on clinicaltrials.gov within a year. And that doesn't capture all of the trials going back for all of the medicines that we use today. And that's the evidence that we really need. But in any case, there was no routine public audit on whether people obeyed that law, the FDA Amendment Act 2007. And actually, it turned out when a, an audit was finally published in the BMJ in January of 2012, compliance with that legislation was 22%, 40% for industry trials and 10% for mixed industry and academic trials. So this is an ongoing problem. There is no legislation that gets us access to all the results of all the trials that have been conducted on all of the medicines that we use today. And we urgently need it. And it's not about catching industry out. In fact, it's not even just an industry problem. It's about making sure we have the complete picture of the evidence in order to make informed judgments as doctors with patients. Thank you. And we've got at the two extremes of this table um, two heroes of the open data um, campaign, um, reaching long back into their lives, as I'm sure they feel. Um, just starting with Peter, gotcha. Peter, can you just give us a few nuggets, if you like, from why you think this is such an important thing and, and what you have learned in the last 10 years that has changed your view of the medical literature? First of all, we got access to um, a cohort of protocols from Danish ethical review committees. And uh, we compared the protocols with published trial reports and found most shockingly 
that in two-thirds of trials, at least one primary outcome had been changed from protocol to published trial report, and not in a single trial report uh, were the readers informed about this. And this comes close to scientific misconduct in two-thirds of the trials, in my mind. So uh, this, uh, in a way, started us off, and I fought for three years to get access to uh, unpublished clinical study reports and protocols at the European Medicines Agency, only to be told that it was commercially confidential, which it isn't. There isn't anything in there that is commercial confidential. So when we complained to the Ombudsman, he agreed with us, and the EMA had to change its stance completely because he accused them of maladministration in a press release. And their former director went directly into consulting for the drug industry, despite EMA's own rules, which operate with a quarantine of two years. We now have a new head of the EMA who is on our side, so we are very pleased about that. So you're optimistic? I'm very, I'm very optimistic because uh, Guido Rassi and Hans-Georg Eichler at the EMA really mean what they say, that they want to provide access for new drugs to not only the full clinical study reports, but all the anonymized patient data and statistical programs so anybody can work out whether the results are correct as the industry has described them. This, this will be tremendous progress for public health. Thank you very much, Peter. Tom, similar question to you. What, what have you learned over the last 10 years that um, has led you to the, your current view, and are you optimistic about the future? All of us uh, listening to this probably or watching this are taxpayers, and we have all contributed to paying for the drug Tamiflu, which is an anti-influenza drug, uh, both as a prescription drug and by uh, accruing huge stockpiles. In the case of Tamiflu, what we have learned is that 60% of the available evidence has never been published. It's been promised, some of it, but never delivered to us. And only a part has been delivered. The manufacturers are still trying to hang on to the data, whereas for a drug which has turned out to be a blockbuster and which the, uh, for which the public, us, have invested huge amounts of money, around the world, this is a very strange situation. If you go on bmj.com slash Tamiflu, you will see the log of our attempts at getting to the bottom of this. And the stone walls that we have received, not just from industry, but from bodies like WHO and CDC. When a GP prescribes a drug, when a hospital doctor prescribes a drug, he or she must know what that drug does. Ginny, I mean, journals have a big role to play in this, but do you see them more as part of the problem or more as part of the solution? Um, well, I, th I think they're beginning to realise that they are now part of the solution. The background to, to where we're coming from in this is that PLOS has always been an organisation that's been very interested in open data, open access, wanting to be very much more transparent. It was somewhat of a shock to me when I started at PLOS. We realised that actually many things were entrenched within the system and that the vast majority of people who wanted to publish in um, highly selective journals were not interested in publishing um, negative trials. We find consistently that people spin their trials uh, in <coughs> such a way as to make them seem more positive than they are and we're trying to move away from a position from where you publish a result based on its, its results to you should publish a, a paper based on what the original question is. 
Journals have traditionally been part of the problem because they have selected papers that have been highly of interest to their subscribers, so they have a vested interest in publishing papers which they can sell reprints for. Um, and many journals that currently exist make a large amount of money based on reprints. So we feel that open access moves away from that. But at the same time, you know, I also feel that journals very much have a role in campaigning. And I feel we're now at a point with the model of publishing having changed that we can actually um, publish the trials that are, um, that are, that are out there um, and that we have to actively campaign for that to be the case rather than just accepting the, the status quo. Thanks very much. Tracy, tell us a bit then about the All Trials campaign and if, I'm particularly in the need to communicate with a, more, a wider public about this. Everyone's kind of stood back in amazement and um, at seeing all these organisations uh, starting to sign up publicly. Many of them are organisations which for years and years and years have dragged their feet or have been part of pushing this back into private rooms as a conversation. Um, I think what's, what's changed is not that this is the first time anyone's thought about this issue. What's changed is we're asking for public commitment now. And just tell people what the public commitment is. The public commitment is to sign up publicly to a commitment to publishing uh, the results of clinical trials, the clinical study reports. We're asking for that to go back where, as far as possible, it's to be concerned with all medicines that are currently being prescribed. So that is not just the European situation where we're looking at things which uh, come post-2014, but actually looking back for the majority of medicines that people are using today, of course, relate to studies which were done in the last two decades. How important do you think the public are in this? Because I think the other thing about the closed doors has been very much about, you know, don't scare the patients, Is this isn't an appropriate discussion to be had in the public. Um, but, but really, when you look at the people who've signed up and the idea of actually in, engaging participants in trials and telling them to tell us if they've had trouble getting information about the trial they took part in, it seems that's new. Yeah, well, my, I mean, my short answer to that is if you, if you don't want to scare patients, uh, then make sure the data are out there <laughs> that we can all get behind and explain. Because at the moment what happens is that, in fact, the opposite happens, um, which is that people do make allegations against drugs that are on the market, and all the independent voices are not in a position to be able to give people guidance as to whether there's truth in that or not. So, so it's an absolute rumour mill out there at the moment. But more importantly, I mean, there's a bottom line here, which is that patients... Um, are participants in clinical trials and they've taken part in those trials because they believe that they're contributing to knowledge about their condition and to knowledge about potential therapies. When they discover that that's in somebody's cupboard and no one else is able to use or build on that, I think it's a, it, it's a horrible thing to discover and we found that people have been upset by it. But on the positive side of that, you know, we did a survey with Patient View, which was a global survey of patient associations. Um, and found that over 70% of people said that if they were assured that the results of the study that they were involved in were going to be published, they would be much more likely to take part in that, in that clinical trial. Well, that's for the benefit of everybody. I wonder if we could move on to um, the challenges that, the pushback, if you like, some of it legitimate about what do we mean by data, what do we mean by public access to, um, and, and the discussion about individual patient data versus clinical study reports. Um, ben. And we, I think we need to be clear about the different levels of information that we're asking for. So, for example, we need to know that a trial has happened at all, and I don't think anybody would argue with that. We need the summary results. Then there's the clinical study report minus the identifiable patient data. So the real, the real nuts and bolts of what was done in the methods. And, and 
there's a, 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 a small but growing literature showing that there are discrepancies between the methods in the CSR and the methods as reported in a journal article where the journal article is misleading. And then finally, at the end of that, we come to individual patient data. And I think it's vitally important that we separate off any discussion about individual patient data and whether that poses a threat to patient confidentiality. It's vitally important that we separate that off from the basic principle of we need access to knowledge that the trial has happened, knowledge of the summary results, and a full, clear description of the methods. Nobody can argue with the first three. And on the fourth, on, on individual patient data, there's an interesting conversation to have, but it shouldn't be allowed to cloud um, access to basic results and methods. Okay, um, we've got a few more minutes just to ask what next? What do we want? What do we want individuals listening to this, watching this, um, to do? Tracy, what, what should we do? All trials is all.net where people can sign up, both as individuals and as organisations, has only just got going. And we haven't really begun to talk to everybody across society, in all societies, that we need to be talking to about this. So uh, the first thing that people can do is to make sure that everybody knows about it and every organisation is thinking about where they stand on this issue. Because I think over the next month or so, uh, which side of history you're on is going to start to really count. I think it's very important for, for us to identify what are the regulatory routes through which good behaviour can be rewarded and bad behaviour discouraged. That is important. But we must remember that ultimately this is going to be about public accountability. It's going to be about the fact that patients and the public continue to ask those difficult questions. Our media ask them, our politicians ask them, our regulators ask them, because that's the real safeguard. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you to all the panel. So um, those of you listening, watching, do go to alltrials.net. Um, also on bmj.com, there's an open data campaign where you can see um, evidence of Tom's persistence and his colleagues on the Tamiflu and also um, other related issues. Um, we'd be delighted to have any comments on that. Please do respond to this uh, podcast. Send us your comments. And um, various of us are on Twitter, so we look forward to discussing with you then. Thank you very much indeed. And you can find more information at alltrials.net or on the BMJ's Open Data campaign page. That's bmj.com slash open hyphen data. That's everything for this week. Next week we'll be looking at WHO's new focus on hypertension. So come back then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.